Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Hi Ami, how are you doing? Welcome to Moving Sounds. Hey James, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. No, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, I've been a long-time fan of your music, well, for a, a good few years, um, from your Meditations mixtape in uh, the, the lockdown was a really important, really important record to me. I listened to oh. it uh, over and over again, and then I've since sort of listened to everything you, you do, big fan. So uh, I feel honoured and a bit nervous to have you on the show, because I'm such so into it. So. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, thank you. That's, I'm really... I'm really glad I think that that the meditations EP that I released back in early um, 2020 so early in the pandemic I just it was something I I don't know with music I I usually I think the albums I put out are are often worked on over a long time and sort of very intentional and that one just kind of happened you know in this response like the response to what was happening and um, I honestly I think I was a bit nervous about putting out something that I worked on so quickly and um, yeah. but I'm glad I'm glad I did yeah and in the title it says does it say volume one is it say meditation is it volume yeah one? the idea yes so the idea was that I there's more to come more meditations albums but I have not yet embarked on like what that would be but I'm I think the idea too for me like I said I made those really quickly like in little more than a week or so and I think I saw that as a series of music if I were kind of just making ambient work um kind of in a more quick quick and dirty way that those would become these sort of like meditations um yeah um I'd love to play a track from from the release is there is there a track you'd like to to choose to to play from from the EP from meditations I, yeah. I'm happy with any of them. Yeah, let's either go for a Juni. I haven't actually listened to that in a long time. And um, have you got? Uh, you've just announced your your new album, "The Living World Demands," mm-hmm. and you've got uh, a new a new single from it called "Sensations." And um, yeah, you just told me offline that it's a, a, a sorry off record that it's a little bit different to to the Meditations EP. Um, what what yeah. can people expect from the upcoming stuff? Yeah, pretty different. I um, I. For people who haven't really listened to my work before, my 
you know, the Meditations EP and my full-length album before that are sit much more firmly in the, the ambient music kind of sphere, but I have made experimental pop also for a long time. And so this album, I think, really kind of brings those two genres together. So, I, I mean, maybe you could call it ambient pop. I don't know. There's some, there are definitely some pieces on there that are firmly in the ambient, you know, um, genre and are kind of continuing from meditations. Um, and then there are some songs that are songs with yeah. chorus and verse. <laughs> um, and some of them have beats. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so yeah, a little bit of everything, I think. Hopefully there's something in there for everyone. <laughs> and that's what um, Moving Sound is about, really. I guess it is an ambient modern classical show in the main, but it's definitely about how that can be in all genres as well. It's mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, we only play one type of music. So um, it's, it's perfect <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for, 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 this, for this show. And um, we, we definitely play a track from that later. But um, as per with Moving Sounds, I like to to go back to the very start. So um, we, were you born in Baltimore? I was, I was born, yeah, yeah in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, grew up here. My my parents immigrated um, to Maryland to this area, Baltimore area, uh, in the early seventies um, from from New Delhi. My parents are originally from India. Yeah. And uh, what's what's some of your earliest earliest memories of of music? So yeah, my earliest musical memories are probably more in the household. So my parents played a lot of sick hymns. Um, my, my family is sick um, and so a lot of Sikh hymns and some amount of Punjabi folk music, um, some amount of like old school Bollywood music. You know, my parents had a small, not, not massive, but a small Bollywood vinyl collection or I should say Indian music vinyl collection because there was classical music in there. There were also Sikh um, vinyl of, of Sikh hymns. So mm -hmm. definitely the landscape when I was very small the, the kind of sound landscape in the house was that music. And um, and then, of course, as I, I think as I got older, I um, just kind of got into tradi pretty, pretty traditional mainstream pop music and, and, and rock, you know, pop rock, kind of what was on the radio. Um, and so everything was a bit of a mashup of, you know, th those sounds. And I, yeah, and I think that that has really led to kind of the music I make, yeah. And um, the sort of uh, Sikh, uh, the Sikh hymns and music you were first hearing, it's very integral to the religion, isn't it? Music, because you have the. Uh, right. I, I, I'm not an encyclopedia by any means on this, but you ha you have the, the gurus mm -hmm. that started the religion yeah. in the uh, 1500s. Mm -hmm. uh, For yeah, uh, late 1400s, but yeah, 15th century, yeah. And and they were all um, musicians basically as well yeah. mm -hmm. and it's sort of integral isn't it to, to the scriptures um uh it's yeah can you say a little bit more yeah. about that and how music connects so and so much yeah definitely so in sikhism the gurus who were the sort of yeah the founders like you mentioned of the religion they um the, the scripture that we that the sikh um, Sikh people read now and refer to is called the Sri Guru Granth Sahib, and 
the gurus contribute contributed their writings you write the scripture to the to that um to those uh to this holy book essentially the guru Granth Sahib. and the guru Granth Sahib, in particular all of that scripture is written with the intention of being set to music so really it's not just verse it's actually hymns they're intended mm. to be hymns and um for anybody out there who knows about Indian classical music, you might know that Indian music is um, based on a system of rag or ragas. Um, and so ragas, you could roughly translate to the Western classical idea of modes or modal music, although the definition is, is a little, it, it is, isn't quite the same. They're not quite apples to apples, but, um, but essentially ragas, when you um, have a raga, you have a, a set of notes that you play um, and those notes have, you know, can have different relationships between them, right? A, a semitone, a whole tone. It could be more than that within an octave mm -hmm. or within a raga specifically. So all of the six scripture, every scripture in the Guru Granth Sahib is written to be, um, is is was was intended to be in a specific raga, and that raga is indicated actually in the scripture. So definitely my um, upbringing in the Sikh faith had was full of music um the the uh temple service at the gurdwara which is the sick house of worship is really just um a service of of music and there's there's music performed pretty much the most most of that um most of that time so i grew up you know we would go to the gurdwara on sundays and listen to those hymns and i grew up singing those hymns and learning those hymns um like in sunday school and um, I went to summer camps starting when I was nine or ten years old with other sick kids and learned um, learned various hymns. And I think because I had a pretty strong, you know, aptitude for music and interest in it from a young age, and I'm like, because I was a quote-unquote loud singer, <laughs> I, uh, I was always the one who was encouraged to sing the sick hymns, I think, especially in Gurdwara. <laughs> And the thing I like about uh, a lot of religious music is the fact that it, it's, it's stayed the same for hundreds, thousands of years. It's sort of, um, it feels like you're going back in time sometimes um, in the best of ways. And I think the same is a lot of uh, Indian classical music it feels like, I might be wrong on this, but it could be similar to, to what they were playing 2000 years ago as well. And like with with the um, the gurus making this, this we say I say Sikh in England. Maybe we've got a slightly different. I'm sure you're yeah, right for I America, but like, people uh, people yeah. say Sikh and people say Sikh. Sikh. If in Sikh. in you, actually yeah. in Punjab, I think in I mean the, in in the English speaking world, it's probably more widely said as Sikh, just to not confuse it with the word sick or ill, you know. Yeah. To, um, but in Punjabi, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you read the actual way it's written, it's um, pronounced in Punjabi. It's Sikh. Anyway, oh, right. that's, that's good to that's, know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wondered, like, when the gurus were were making the, the, the rags and mm -hmm. um, was this, did this evolve from, like, say, let's say, Hindustani music from before? This was like a new type of music. It, it did. And then also there were rags that some of the gurus created. So there is there is kind of a specific um sick classical music that was created throughout that time as well yeah but actually you know i think a, there's i think that 
from what I understand, and I'm to be honest, I'm no means an expert on Indian classical music. I'm really not. People assume I am, and I, I, I often people come up to me and ask me questions, and they know more than I, or you know, be, they might know more about a specific raga or a specific topic than I know. But I think that's just because it's such a wide. It's also just a very large topic or large subject, right? To learn, anyway, to learn about. But from what I understand, the Indian classical music world it it is evolving, and like the sitar, for example, which is an instrument that I play, mm. the way it is in its current form, it's been around since about the 17th century, in, in its current form. So of course, before that, there there might have been a sitar-like instrument that sort of evolved over time. But I do think that yeah. there's this. Mis misunderstanding that it's you know thousands of years old, but uh, yes, that music has been going on for a long time, but it has evolved over time. It's and still, what yeah, we yeah, think it does of, evolve. Yeah. yeah, what we think of as like Indian classical music now is still probably only three to five hundred years old, from from what I understand. But I, if somebody out there is an uh, expert on the subject, please feel free to comment somehow <laughs> i think the uh, the, yeah. the sitar and tabla are, um are kind of quite like famous right now but uh, mm -hmm. I, uh, a sikh friend of mine if recently was showing me on youtube this mad mad instrument called the i don't know if you know it is it the, the tar shanai the tar shanai it's like it's like a stringed oh. instrument but at the bottom it's got like this metal horn on the bottom of the instrument like mm. it's like, like a gramophone coming out of the stringed instrument Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. I have. Tosh and I, yeah. Huh. Wow. I don't know this instrument. No. Maybe it's, it was. Yeah. Cool. I, yeah. There's there's a guy on YouTube playing it along with um, this uh, white guy from uh, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra on the violin. And they were oh. like compa comparing their two instruments. It's quite interesting. But anyway, wow. um, we should probably play a, a track. Well, only if any of your um, choices today, is it the um, the Onka Sing track? Is is yeah, that one that would be suitable yeah, now? So, yeah, Onkar Singh. Um, he is a Sikh, uh, whole, uh, like a preacher type of figure, which we call a ragi or. Um, uh, Baisab is another way to describe this person. But anyway, he's actually from Canada. And a lot of these um, uh, Sikh uh, leaders, um, I think when I was a kid especially, um, a lot of them are educated in India, in Punjab. They're from Punjab and don't speak English or their comprehens comprehension of English is a little bit, um, you know, just not, they're not as comfortable in speaking English. And so a lot mm -hmm. of the Sikh um, services are completely conduct conducted in Punjabi, which I think in the West has been really difficult for, you know, younger generations to engage with because they, you know, a lot of us, like, I'm not fluent in Punjabi. I understand some Punjabi, but not all. Um, and this Ragi in particular, he, when he talks, when he kind of does the sermon part of his, um, of, of the service, um, he he, spe he speaks in English, and so you'll hear um, in. I mean, you might not hear in this sample, but if you listen to this entire piece, there are parts. There's a part where he talks about the meaning of the Punjabi um, that he's singing, which is from the Guru Granth Sahib, the hymn. Um, but anyway, it's Unkar Singh Mohan Ghar Avo, 
Garo Jodaria, and um, this is just my, you know, my family uh, listened to this album quite a bit, and I ended up learning the hymn. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, let's hear sort of a, fi- a five-minute excerpt of that uh, now. <laughs> Yeah, and then you, you said sort of, you know, uh, you, you started to get more into to, to main mainstream music, obviously mm-hmm. that you were hearing around you in in America. And um, yeah, what what were some of the first things you were you were getting into, sort of that weren't related to the sort of the Indian music yeah, collection from your family? Sure, I mean definitely just like stuff. I don't know that was like around as a kid when I was a little kid I remember like Paula Abdul I remember you know just like pop music rock music um when I was in middle school the the kind of alternative rock music that was really big was like I don't know like the presidents of the United States of America oh, yeah. and like yeah. uh 311 and you know like all those kinds of bands that were just on the radio yeah all the time and then but what was you know so was hearing kind of that all the time and and you know hip-hop um i remember listening to the fujis mm-hmm. when i was a kid um actually that was yeah the fujis also had a, had an impact on me but there was sort of a turning point when um i actually so i actually grew up also taking dance classes like ballet jazz modern dance and in some ways, it was actually through dance classes that I was exposed to like m- music that wasn't on the radio, essentially, or that wasn't classic Western classical music or Indian classical music mm. that I was exposed to in my kind of music side of my life and my family side. And so this, um, I, I remember when I was, I think, 12 or 13 years old, um, some of uh, the students in the kind of dance group, it was like a you know da- the dance classes that I was in in school did a did a choreographed a piece to um, a song called Batter Sea by Hooper Phonic. So for those of you who are familiar with Hooper Phonic, they're like a Belgian pop trip hop band, um, and it was really the first time I'd been and m- maybe in Europe actually this was a, a lot more mainstream. But th- that like trip hop wasn't actually on the radio in the U.S. It was um, still considered like indie more indie music um but it was really for me an interesting meeting of these worlds where you have so in this song the there's like a string um kind of ensemble that comes in in the beginning and then there's like you know classic 90s drum and bass beat that drops and then this um this high pit the, the singer in in her kind of uh soprano voice sings this ballad which was also very different you know 90s pop was a lot of diva belting kind of music even now i mean pop music is very like belty so to hear this kind of a, a lighter kind of high um higher voice singing a ballad over the strings and the drum and bass i think was just aesthetically a really different approach than anything i'd heard before so yeah I wasn't um, so aware of Hooverphonic actually, um, and I listened to quite a lot of this sort of genre in this time in the '90s. Maybe they were bigger in America, 
But, um, I, I think guess... they were bigger in Belgium, but they were yeah. not big in America. I really, I oh, don't just... think they were at all. It just that's why I, I considered them sort of this. I, I, I remember being like, who is this band? You know, and it was very difficult to find anything about them. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I sort of link it to sort of uh, maybe a bit of sneaker pimps or lamb or right. something or. Exactly. Who then I who I also was like into at that time. Oh, into <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's have a listen to um, Hooverphonic and Battersea. I was just thinking that um, in in that era, um, it was there was no internet really, and um, and especially where I grew up, not that many record shops really. And um, basically, it was hard to get a really left field music taste. It was just by nature a bit more mainstream or something experimental, but on quite a big label. So I got I got into sort of boards of Canada and Warp and. And like the bigger independent, because they were probably in your the high street shops a little bit as well. Right. Um, but it was very hard to get really left field in in that era, wasn't it? It was a bit more mainstream people taste, I think. Yeah, definitely. It was. It. I think everybody. I mean, I and I didn't have when I was a kid. I didn't really have like, you know, some old some. I mean, I had older sisters actually, and my sisters aren't so much into music as I am. So, so their music tastes did influence me, but it wasn't super left field, you know? So, um, I had one friend and we were the same age, you know, just one friend who were, we were both into that kind of trip hop music, which in the U S was like pretty left field. I think there was like one sneaker pimp song that was on the radio and that was like the gateway to trip hop, you know? Um, so yeah, which was, it was so, to me, it was like so different than what was, you know, like I was mentioning all these pop punk bands, essentially this alternate, it was called alternative music, which was, it's not alternative anymore. (laughs) Um, but, um, you know, the pop punk bands in the nineties, of course, hip hop in the U S at that time was huge and dominated, you know, the airspace and then other various pop music and like jock jam style music you know that so so like trip hop was just so different from all of that um and i just yeah i think it really uh i don't know it just really struck me and kind of led me down a rabbit hole of um getting into massive attack and tricky uh yeah so as i'm sure if any of the listeners in the uk uk will be very bored by thinking about that but anyway oh no not at all i just um read tricky's autobiography actually ah cool and it was it was really really good actually yeah he's a very talented man okay um, yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, you've actually i saw in your list you've chosen another uh, a, a massive attack a, yeah. a total classic uh, teardrop yeah which i think is one of those songs that just um transcends genre and um yeah. will just be listened to in a hundred years time by fans yes. of any any genre really it's just a classic isn't it, it exactly um, so let's play that i mean have you got any yeah anything you wanted to say around that why you chose that track i think i remember so this was you know the era of cds this was like late 90s and 
we could, you could very easily like toggle, uh, have a song play and repeat, you know, on a yeah. CD. And this is for me like very early emo teenage years. And I just would like listen to that song on repeat and probably cry in my bedroom or just like, uh, or just <laughs> like, it, you know, just ha was very contemplative. I mean, that song, it's like, it's slow. It's kind of, it has like, a sadness and an angstiness and you know that, that I think my my inner my all of my emotions at that time were sort of like really triggered by the song so it was just something I remember listening to quite a, a bit <laughs> and the video the video is so sort of beautifully raw and real as well wasn't it yeah it, like yeah. like nothing around at that time yeah I was thinking like when they put out their was it the 100th window album um, their fourth album they put okay. out um sort of after this period and it it went quite much more dark and experimental. And I remember thinking I really respected them for doing that, but also, oh, I want, to, I want another teardrop. Yeah. Um, but then that's probably why they, they're still so loved today because you can't just keep doing the same songs. Right. right. Or, right. Or, or, or can you, if you know that's what you're good at, then maybe right. you can, but Massive Attack, you, you never quite know what they're going to do next. Right. Yeah. 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 No, it's true. And to be honest, I don't know that I've followed them so much since that era. So it I I'll have to check out what they've been doing since that time, but um yeah, that at that time they were just so it was it was a very formative time for me. Yeah, I think artistically. Brilliant. Let's listen to uh Massive Attack and Teardrop. So yeah, thanks thanks for coming on the show, Army. It's, thanks uh, so much for having me, James. It's been yes. brilliant getting more insight into your your life and creative pursuits and your your track choices. And I, I note that your last track is kind of a perfect moving sounds vibe. I would say the uh, the Clint Mansell and uh, Requiem for a Dream. Um, I don't think I watched a film again anytime. I remember watching it when I was a teenager, and it yeah. bloody I think I might have been wasted at the time. And it, yeah. it was sort of really confused my brain. It's quite a, a, a head fuck of a film, but in, it's it's meant to be. Yeah, uh, because it is it about is. different psychoses, isn't it? And um, I think you just chose the film soundtrack as a whole. I think the famous track is Lux and Turner is sort of oh, the most known. Okay. But if there's a particular to... track you wanted to play. Yeah, then... I think like. Um... The Lux Antenna, that that that's the the one that yeah, just sort of the main theme. I think when I was thinking about tracks that you know were so influential to me or really left an impression on me. I mean, it, this is interesting because you mentioned about my work is that I, you know, I make ambient music, but I I make kind of dark music also, and this mm. is this is a, a track that I remember listening to a lot um, after. Probably, I don't know, before or after seeing the movie, I don't know which came first, but um, yeah, that film, it really does, like, I remember, it, you know, it was a huge phenomenon when it was re released and it left, you know, such a huge impression on me. But that song, it just feels like it, 
it's it's so perfectly scored i think for that film film of feeling like you're spinning out of control into kind of a dark abyss yeah and yeah um i yeah, there's not really much more to say i think <laughs> there, I there was another there was yeah. another film there was another film out around the similar time uh, do you remember it called pie I think it was P.I. Yeah. I think it was P.I. It's really, uh, also yeah. really, really dark. Um, bit of a cult yes. film at the time. I do remember it coming out and wanting to see it, and I don't know if I ever saw it. So I'll oh, have really? to watch it yeah. sometime. I oh, yeah. remember, I remember around that time, yeah, having it on like, excuse me, like a list of movies I should watch, but I, I don't yeah. think I ever did. <laughs> Yeah. Um, brilliant. So yeah, we'll we'll play uh yeah, Clint Mansell Requiem for well, the Luxanne Turner track. Yeah. And um yeah, thanks for coming on again. Best of luck with uh yeah, the rest of uh the album sort of I hate it when people call it campaigns. It sounds so um business like. Yeah. Uh album let's the album experience and just yeah. performing it and um, I think it's all about uh, the change from your work being private to public. That's how I like to describe it. And that because that there's all of a sudden this shift where your work has been private and you've just had this personal relationship with it. And then all of a sudden it's out in the world and you're engaging with it in a different way because other people are hearing it and engaging with it in their they're perceiving it and however they will perceive it and so there's a there's a shift that i am always a little bit anxious about <laughs> it's exciting it's exciting as well though isn't it because yeah. some of yeah. the, some of the tracks yeah. will go in one direction the others will go in another they have legs of yeah. their own and opportunities will arise and <laughs> yeah so, yeah um brilliant all right um yeah thanks thanks a lot right. thank you so much